This morning, uh, I want to talk to you about something that is uh, uh, very, very recognizable all over the world. This cross, I want you to look at it for just a moment, would you? Maybe you're looking at your device, you're looking at your Bible, I just want you to look at it. Today, I want to talk about the power of the cross. Everybody say, the power of the cross. Can you say that? The power of the cross. There's a story years ago about this couple. They lived in the cold of snowy Chicago, and they wanted to get out of the cold weather there in Chicago. So they decided they were going to go to sunny Miami Beach, Florida, right in the middle of winter, just to get a little warmth. But because of the nature of their businesses, they had to travel a day apart. So the husband went down to Miami a day early. When he got down there, he wanted to email his wife and let him know, let her know that he had arrived safely. So he typed up the email and sent it, but unfortunately he missed the correct email by one letter. The person who did receive the email was an elderly woman whose husband had died the day before. When she read the email, she let out a shriek and fainted to the floor. Her children and grandchildren came rushing in to see what was wrong, and they read the email, and the email said this, Dearest wife, made it here safely. Preparations are being made for your arrival tomorrow. Love your husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. All right. Now, okay, I want, I want you to see this. I want you to know we better get the details right. Come on, somebody. We better get the details right. I want to talk this morning about the details of and something that God has shown me that has changed my life just recently in my walk with Christ of what does the cross really, really mean because this is the most recognized religious symbol in the world today. And there are three conclusions you can make here today. You can say, number one, there is no story. There is no story. And this whole thing of religion is a bunch of made-up mythology that why would we give our time on Sunday morning to get up and get dressed and drive to a building on sub uh, uh, free temperatures. This, this is a bunch of ridiculous mythology, so there is no story. Or you can say, I'll make up my own story, which is where many people in the earth today are living, that they just want to make up their own story, that they'll live their life whatever way they want to because they just want to do it their way. Come on. The third thing is you can say there really is God's story, and maybe his story is something that I must understand and I must submit to. The church in Germany in 1935 had become very, very comfortable in their Orthodox religion. Right before the Second World War, there was a young theologian who was, whose name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a young fireball from heaven that was trying to awaken the German people to what was happening in the culture around them. And said, so you've got to shake yourself from your dead religion. We've got to go back to the pillars of the church and we must return to God or our world is in danger. The church continued in their lethargy. They continued in their comfort. They stayed in their satisfaction satisfaction. And two years after he was preaching that to the great churches of Germany at that time, there was a young man named Adolf Hitler who was elected as the chancellor of Germany. And we know the story that he started the atrocities that were going on. And the second world war, as a result of him coming to power, 73 million people lost their lives around the world in world war II. Simply because, and I don't blame Adolf Hitler, I don't blame uh, anybody else, I blame the church. Come on, somebody. 
because we got silent about the things of what really, really matter of what is this really, really all about. Because see, I want you to understand, and look at this with me if you would. There are two pieces of wood, and it's called a cross because there's a crossing of decisions that have to be made by this. What does this really, really mean? I want you to read this scripture with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it's gonna be on the screen. Can we all read it together? I love when we read the word of God together. So can everybody read it with me? Come on, say it with me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can you read it one more time? You sound so good. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People say around the world that the greatest symbol of freedom in the world is the flag of the United States of America. And I'm grateful to be an American. Come on, I'm so thankful that I get to live in this country. But the greatest symbol of freedom in the world today is not the flag of the United States of America. The greatest symbol in the world today is the cross of Jesus Christ, of what a, a, a God came to become a man to give us a way back to the God that could set us free. Come on. And you can go all over the, the world, you can go all over this nation, and you can look at the foundations in the downtown of any city in America, and there's a steeple somewhere, and at the top of that steeple, what is there on it? Come on. Why is the steeple having a cross at the very, very top? Because you can go back to any city, and Gunnersville would be no exception that probably there's a church in the downtown area somewhere where this was first established as a community, and you could find at the origins of every city in the nation, there was a post office, there was a restaurant of some sort, and there was a church that had a steeple on the top with a cross at the very, very top, so people could look across that community above the trees and see that cross, that it was a symbol of hope, it was a symbol of life, and it was a symbol of opportunity. Come on. And that's what that cross really represents. So to the world, this message of the cross is foolishness. Why would you do all this religious stuff? But to those of us who are being, and that word being is starting and keep on going, that, that the, to those of us that are being saved, come on, it is the power of God. I want to read you one more scripture in Hebrews. If you want to go there in your Bible, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and they're going to put it on the screen again. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verses 1 through 3. And then I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Come on, can we read it again? Will you read along with me if, if you'd like to? Come on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. Will you say that part again? For the joy set before him. I want you to scream that one more time, can you? For the joy set before him. Keep reading. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we're sitting here today, the Bible tells us this is an amazing statement in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that I personally believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And, and, and I want you to see why I say that name to you because if you take all the things that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote 12 books that we know, but I personally believe he was the author of the book of Hebrews as well. And this guy was a persecutor of the church. This guy was murdering Christians as a Pharisee. 
until he had a blinding light experience and God spoke to him in a vision to go to a man's house that would speak to him and the scales would fall off of his eyes. And this one who was killing Christians became the greatest proponent of Christianity maybe the world has ever known. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? And, and, and so he says in this passage, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, that's an amazing statement. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Why would anyone say for the joy they would endure what this represented? I want you to look at it. This was the Roman crucifixion system. It was the most difficult, painful, excruciating form of, of killing someone that they could have as a culture because here's what the Romans wanted. They wanted people to suffer. That if you did not submit to the law, if you did not submit to the law of Rome, they would take you to the cross and they would beat you and they would, uh, they would cut you so that your blood would begin to flow and they would nail you to a cross. And sometimes people say it took sometimes six, seven days that they would hang on this cross before finally they would breathe their last breath. And for those, those of us who have been in church very, very long, maybe you've heard about this and, and, and we talk about this every Easter that we look at what Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why would he do this? Because Jesus came saying, there is another way. Come on, everybody say that. There is another way. Not just the Roman system, there is another way. And they hated him so violently, they wanted to get rid of him so violently, they said, we're gonna make an example of you. And so they took that whip, that cat of nine tails, how many of you know the story? And it had nine pieces of leather at the end of it. It had a piece of metal, jagged metal at the very, very end of it that every time they would hit those that were being crucified and they would hit them, it would stick into the flesh. And when they pull that whip, back, it would pull flesh away from them. So I want you to see this with me and I want you to feel this this morning. What Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me, that the Bible says he took, th how many stripes? Come on. 39. I want to count them out for you. Will you count with me? You see how long that took me? I want you to picture this in your mind, that Jesus, the Son of God, who said, I, I come to give my life so that people can find hope. That the Bible says they hit him 39 times, ripping flesh from him every time they're hitting him. And then they put a crown of thorns on him and blood pouring from his brow. And from that beating, blood's pouring from him. He becomes so weakened until the Bible says that they nailed a cross to him. And you've probably seen in pictures that they nailed his hands. Most theologians believe it was probably in the wrist because if they had nailed his hands, the weight of his body could have pulled the nail out. So they probably put the nails right there in his wrist. So they put those nails there. They nailed one into his feet, 39 stripes. Then they nailed him to this cross and they make him carry his own cross up to Golgotha. And Golgotha means the place of the skull. And I want you to know if we're gonna win today and if we're gonna overcome in the crazy world that we're standing in today, we're gonna have to start at Golgotha, the place of the skull, the mind. We're gonna have 
to think about what our God really, really did for us. He's carrying that cross up Golgotha's hill until he's so weakened, he can't carry it anymore. Who knows the story that a man named Simon for Cyrene carries the cross for him, an African, the rest of the way, they nail him in his wrist, they nail him in his hands, and theologians understand scientifically today that as he's hanging there and blood's pouring from him, his lungs are filling with blood and he cannot breathe. So just to get breath into his lungs, he would have to push up on those nails and pull up on those nails until the pain became so excruciating that he couldn't take it anymore until fluid began to fill his lungs again and he couldn't breathe and he would pull up on those nails and push up again until the pain became so excruciating that he couldn't take it anymore. And back and forth, back and forth, some theologians believe up to eight hours Jesus was hanging on that cross until finally he said, Father, even on that cross, he's looking at them and filled with love after what they've done to him. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't even know what they're doing. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit and he gave up the ghost. And I want you to know that why would somebody for the joy set before them endure something like that? I can tell you why. He did it for you. And he did it for me. Because I want you to know this is not the Baptist way. This is not the Methodist way. This is not the Catholic way. This is not your way. This is not my way. This is the only way that men can find out who Jesus is and what our God wants to do with us and how he wants to live in our life. Yes? And so as we're sitting here in this room right now and the craziness of our culture, life is a window of time to find God. That's really all it is. Who are you, God, and what do you want to do with me? How do you want to live in me? That's what life is really all about. We're waiting right now while we're sitting in this room for the next shoe to fall in Israel. Bombs literally are going off against Hezbollah in Lebanon. So now they're no longer just bombing Gaza. Now they're bombing Lebanon. And I, that thing is expanding just a little bit more. The United Nations are concerned. What's going to happen? Because if Iran comes and bombs Israel next, that's going to draw the United States into that conflict to stand with our partner Israel, who we should stand with. Come on. And that's going to draw us into that conflict. And if it draws the United States in there, that means it's going to draw China in there. It could potentially draw Russia in there. And then this thing could expand to measures that we never thought were really, really possible. We're looking at a, an election process that's happening in our American culture that we've never seen. Some of you are too young to remember this. We've never seen a former president being indicted the way this president is, regardless of what you think of Trump or not. It's not about that. We're just seeing a process changing in our American culture that there's all kinds of political craziness and people are really, really scared. Come on. What's going to happen to the economy? We keep hearing notes that the dollar is going to be replaced by the Chinese yen any day, that the dollar will no longer be the world's currency. Is that a possibility? We're looking at all of these world changes going on around us right now. And I was just in California. And how many of you know California is the land of fruits and nuts? Come on, how many of you know that? And, and I was just out there, and this is a law in the state of California that you have to be 16 years old and have parental permission to get a tattoo. But in the state of California, this is also a law that you can be as young as 12 years old and have a gender sex change without your parents' permission, and the state of California will pay for it. Come on. How many know that's just different? 
If a homosexual man in California, this is a law, if a homosexual man wants to have a baby, which how many of you know biologically cannot happen, if he wants to have a child, the state of California will rent a woman's body for him for one year so that he can give, she can give birth to his surrogate child. My question about that is, where are the feminists in that discussion? Come on. And so these kinds of things are happening all around that our world is changing so dramatically. What has not changed for over 2,000 years is that this symbol right here today still stands for freedom, it still stands for hope, and it still stands for life. That somebody would, for the joy set before him, would go through all of that so that we could find the hope of going to heaven. Hallelujah. Listen, I am not a Christian today so that I do not go to hell. I'm not a Christian today so that I do not go to hell. I am a Christian because I had no way back to the Father. And in my law state, what the law and the prophets could not do, God said, I'm going to finish in my son. And he sent Jesus to stand in my place and to stand in your place so that when he died, he said, for the joy, what was that joy? That after the cross, there would be a way that every man and every woman and every boy and every girl could find their way back to the eternal kingdom and they could have fellowship with God again. Yes, that is why I am a Christian today. I was standing in Brussels, Belgium uh, several years ago now, and uh, this was uh, about 2016. Uh, standing in Brussels, Belgium, I was speaking at the Continental Theological Seminary there, and I was teaching on evangelism, which is what my heart passion is as an evangelist. And so I went downtown where the NATO headquarters are and the European Union there in Brussels, Belgium, and I went by the U.S embassy there in Brussels, Belgium. When we drove by, we couldn't believe it. The U.S. ambassador was standing outside uh, giving a, a, a news conference. And in a terrorist world, I couldn't believe he was standing outside that somebody could take a shot at him. But all the cameras were there, ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox, everybody was there talking to the U.S. ambassador. So we stopped, we ran over there because we wanted to hear the newscast. While I was standing there at the U.S. Embassy, I was standing almost directly under the flag that stands out over it, our United States flag. And when I looked up, the Lord said this to me. He said, that flag represents the laws, the standard, and the culture of the people of the United States of America. That's what that, law stand, that, that flag stands for. And then the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. He said, son, in your country, if you remove law you will remove standard. If you remove standard, you will remove conscience. And if you remove conscience, anything is acceptable. I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, if you remove law, he said, you will remove standard. And if you remove standard, you will remove conscience. And if you remove conscience, anything is acceptable. Homosexuality, Three men living with four women, five women living with six women, uh, married to as many people as you want to, having as many genders as you want to, live your life any way you want to, because we have to have a law. Come on, somebody. That if you go back to the foundations of the human race and the origins of creation, that God even put judges in place in the old covenant. Why? So they could know how they should function. If we ever remove law, which we're trying to remove them every day in our country as a nation, it's happening while we're sitting here today. If you remove law, you remove standard. Look at me. If you remove law, you remove standard. If you remove standard, you remove conscience. And if the 
Holy Spirit is not working on our conscience of our spirit man, anything is acceptable. And, that, and we're looking at now the results in our culture today that we have a generation of young people in America today that less than 4% of this generation professes to be born again. Less than 4% of this generation. It's the first generation of, of American young people that are at risk of giving up the faith completely as a nation. That is why we must go back and we must remember what the law said. And we must submit to the law so we stand by its standard. Come on. And so that we have a conscience that is under God. Because here's the thing. A heart that does not know God is a wicked heart. The heart of man is wicked. Who can know it? So I want you to know that an unredeemed heart doesn't know any better than just to get drunk or get high or sleep around or take pills or do these things. They live the way they want to live. But once we come to God, we have to come to his law. Come on, somebody. And we have to submit to that law so that we can live by that standard. Come on. And then when we live by that standard, we have a conscience that lives by another principle that we live by the principles of the word of God and who God is and what he wants to be in our life. See, to the world... The, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those who are being born again, those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Can I tell you what we stopped doing 40 years ago? And we moved away from what this understands. We stopped preaching on morality. Does anybody in here remember the moral majority? Wave your hand and wave at me if you remember that thought. Wave at me. Some of you are too young to remember. But there was a political process called the moral majority. Anybody remember the Christian coalition? Wave at me if you remember that term. When Jerry Falwell died, who was the pastor of the Lynch, uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, when he died, unfortunately, the Christian coalition fell apart about 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago now. And every politician running for president, have, I mean, you can remember, they wanted to meet with the Christian coalition. They wanted to meet with the moral majority because they wanted the Christian vote. Is that right? But we stopped preaching on morality and the greatest threat to the laws of God that happened 40 years ago was a process called seeker-friendly. And what we did was we went to a process called seeker-friendly Christianity that we don't want to tell people the truth because tender tummies can't take tough truth. And we don't want to offend anybody and we don't make anybody uncomfortable while they're in the house of God. We want to make everybody happy, live your best life now. Everything is good. Everything is easy. You can live any way you want to just as long as you'll come to church. Come on, help me now. And unfortunately, we stopped preaching on morality. And sex before marriage in this generation is a foregone conclusion. When I was a teenager, I was scared spitless about getting in a car with another girl or getting in a bedroom with another girl because my, my, two of my sisters got pregnant before they got married, and I was next in line. It's not even a thought for this generation. They're looking at pornography when they're six and seven and eight years old on this device because we stopped saying there's a problem with that, that you should wait until you get married to have sex. Come on, am I telling the truth today? That you should be a person who waits until a marriage day to have that relationship with your wife. Unfortunately, many sitting here may have violated that process. If you have, I got good news. God loves you and God forgives all of us. Come on. But that doesn't mean that the standard has changed. Come on. 
It doesn't mean that the standard has changed. And so we, we stopped talking about morality. We stopped, we stopped talking about separation. That you are to come out from among the world and be separate from them. We're never going to change people around us looking and acting and talking and living like them. There's got to be something different. There's got to be something that they look at our life and they look at you 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 and say, what is different about you? Why should I serve the God that you say you serve? Why should I serve God? And they say, what is different about you? Why are you so happy? And the reason I'm happy is because this is not my home. Once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I was blind, but now I can. See, I'm drinking from another well. And the reason I'm happy is not because of what this world gives me. It's what God is doing inside of me and changing me from the inside out. Yes? We stop preaching on morality. We stop preaching on separation. And we stop preaching on being that person of abstinence. That there are some things that we need to abstain from. When I got saved as a 16-year-old boy on July 22nd, 1979, alcohol was destroying me. I was in and out of trouble. My mom and dad were getting a divorce. My family was falling apart. But on one night, in one moment, everybody say one moment. In one moment, July 22nd, 1979, I walked to an altar of a Baptist church in Mobile. And I said, if God loves me, I want God to come in my heart. And God moved in my heart that night as a 16-year-old boy. And I want you to know I haven't had a drink of alcohol in my mouth since that night. Hallelujah. God changed everything for me and changed my whole trajectory of life. And you know what? I didn't want to drink anymore. I got filled up on something different, and I had to abstain from those things. Come on. There are some things that we still need to abstain from. It doesn't mean that we're boring. And I know I may sound like I'm 5,000 years old today and I'm so antiquated and I sound like I'm from another generation. I want you to know, if we want what the previous generations had, we're gonna have to do what the previous generations did. And what we've got to have is the fire of God and the fire of this cross come on a young generation again and say there are laws and those laws help us live by God's standards and those standards help us live by God's thoughts and we prove to everybody that we're different. Come on, everybody say, I still love the little preacher. I still think he's a sweet little man. Okay, Sister Black Hair, you gotta say it with me, okay? All right, I got a wireless microphone. Okay, so if, if we, we stop preaching on these standards. Let me, let me show you the revelation God gave me and I pray that this will change you the way it's changed me when we leave in just a few minutes. The cross represents two different directions and I want you to see this. In, in the book of Hebrews, it said, for the joy set before him, what? And I want you to see this, this piece of wood going up and down. Can everybody do this with me? Come on. No, 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 come on. No, 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 no. All right, it's not the Atlanta Braves tomahawk chop, okay? The piece of wood going up and down, the Lord said, this represents the will. How many believe everything Jesus did was to teach us? There was no wasted movement with Jesus. And so even he took a Roman crucifixion system to show us how we could live. I believe that this piece of wood going up and down represents the will of God. The will of God. How many believe that God has a will for our life? From the time you were born, listen, and even before you were born, he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And so God, in the art galleries of heaven, 
in the hallways of the art galleries of heaven. There's a beautiful picture of your life. That young man right there, would you stand up with the beard? Yeah, in the balcony. Everybody can, that can see him, look up there at him. He, he just got a great smile, all right? I, I just looked up there a while ago and saw you smiling. And do you know when you were born that God had a picture painted of everything that he wanted to accomplish in your life? And it's a beautiful plan and of everything that God wants you to walk in, man of God. And nothing can stop it. No demon in hell, no government, no institution, no group of people can stop God's will for that man. The only person that can stop God's will for you is you. Yeah. Uh, every, you can sit down, that, that smiling man, all right? Do you know every one of us, God has painted a portrait of our life, of what he wants our life to be. And God had a plan mapped out for every one of us. And it is a beautiful plan. And nothing can stop it. The only thing that can stop God's plan for our life, come on, is us. By being more pre preoccupied with what we want to do with our life rather than what God wants to do with our life. So I want you to believe with me and see this, that the peace of wood going up and down represents the will of God, that God has a will that he wants you to walk in and knowing his love and his joy and his freedom. Now, can you look at this piece of wood going this way? Okay, can everybody do this with me now? Come on, hit the person next to you, make sure they're awake. Come on, hit somebody, make sure they're good and awake. Okay, the piece of wood going sideways, I believe, represents the will of man. And how many believe we have our own will? I want you to understand every one of us have our own will uh, because how many parents are in here? Hold your hand up if you're a parent. What is the first word that a child learns? No. The second word that a child learns is mind because there's something in us from the time that we're born that we're gonna say no, mine, no, mine. And that's the first things that get into us if we're not careful as a human being and that has to be taught out of us that we have our own will, that from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, we have a decision we have to make. Am I gonna live in the, my own will or I'm gonna, am I gonna live in the will of God? Yes? That's what that cross, I believe, represents. The Bible says it's a, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We have a lot of people who are making up their own story. We have a lot of different people who are saying they wanna do it their way. And I want you to know I, have, uh, I can go to the tomb of Buddha today and he is still there. I can go to the tomb of Muhammad today and he is still there. I can go to the tomb of Joseph Smith of the Mormon church and he is still there. But I can go to the tomb of Jesus and I have been there and he is not there. And that's what separates us from every other religion in the world. That he said, you crucify me, three days later I'll be raised back to life again. Why? For the joy set before him. What was that joy? You and you and you and you and you and me that we would find our way back to who God was. See, every day we have our own will. Am I gonna live in my will or am I gonna live in God's will? Let me show you, it's just like this. How many of you have ever tried to use a computer before and it would not do what you wanted it to do? Hold your hand up so I can see it. Okay, how did it make you feel? Somebody scream it out, come on. Oh, did you wanna shoot it? Come on. Did you want to take it outside and run over it? Come on. Did you say bad things to it? Come on. We'll, we'll pray later. All right. So I want you to know we have, we have to make a decision. I get my laptop out all the time, and sometimes it just will not do what I want to do. So I have to face the cross. I have to face the cross. Am I going to do my will or am I going to do God's will? If I do God's will, I say, oh, God, thank you for this wonderful computer. Lord, thank you for Apple and all their technology. And Lord, even though it won't do what I want it to do, God, I, I thank you for this computer. 
I'm either going to crucify that or I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to scream things, veins popping, sweat pouring because I'm so angry because the stupid computer will not do what I want it to do. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Let me tell you another way we face the cross every day. Am I going to live in the will of God or am I going to live in the will of man? Driving every day. I live in Mobile, Alabama, and we have a place there called Airport Boulevard that is a testimony to, to selfishness and greed because there is a traffic light and a turn to a service road about every 35 feet. And so you have to go from 50 miles an hour to 10 miles an hour because somebody slams on the brakes and pulls off to the side, kind of like it is over here in front of Gunnersville High School, that little side road that comes in here. Yeah, and Sister Smell Fungus lives everywhere. And she finds me wherever I'm driving. Anybody been behind Sister Smell Fungus that you're doing 50 miles an hour and she pulls out doing 15 miles an hour? And you have to make your mind up. Am I going to live in the will of God following Sister Smell Fungus or am I going to live in my own will? If I live in the will of God, I'm going to say, oh God, thank you for my friend, my elderly neighbor who's driving so stinking slow, God. God, thank you for her today and keep her safe. Put your angels around her. I'm either going to do that or I'm going to crush the will of God and I'm going to hit the gas and go around her because she's holding me up. And I'm sorry to say that it is what I did and I'm sorry and I apologize. I'll repent later. See, every day from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, we have to make a decision. Whose will will I live in? I believe the cross of Jesus Christ was to teach us not only a way back to the Father, but a day to daily live above the conflict of life that I can submit to the law of God so I can have the standard of God so that I can have the conscience of God that changes the nation around us, yes? When we stop preaching morality and abstinence and we stop preaching these different concepts and immorality, I want you to know we're looking at the results now that it has given to us. We face it every day. But I have good news for you. Not only do we face the crossing of the, uh, of the two wills, of the will of God and the will of man, I want you to know even the Apostle Paul faced that same crossroad. I want to read it to you. It's found in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 21. They're going to put it on the screen. I want us to read it together. And I want you to see this man of God who wrote half of the New Testament, we believe. I want you to see what's going on and what he's battling with. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 21. They're going to get it on the screen. I think it's up there. There we go. Come on, can everybody read this with me? I want you to get this and hear what the Apostle Paul was dealing with. Come on, read it out loud. I do not understand what I do. For what I do to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 16, keep reading. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Keep reading. Verse 18, for I do not do the good I want to do, but know the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Verse 20, now if I do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Keep reading. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. <laughs> okay, that's a lot of do's and don'ts, isn't it? Look at me. Everybody look at me. Every eyeball right here. I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament, this man of God who became the greatest proponent of Christianity, he said, God, the thing I want to do, that's the thing I can't do. Anybody else ever felt that way? And the thing that I know that I should not do that's the thing that I want to keep on doing. 
Who else battles with that but me? And so he's saying, I know that there are things that I need to do. So here's this guy who wrote half of the New Testament and yet was facing the same conflict of the will of man and the will of God, and yet God used him in a mighty way. I want you to know that means for you and for me in the conflict that we face in this flesh, if we can look to the cross every day and say, God, I want your will. I don't want mine. I want to find what you want me to do rather than what I want to find what I want to do. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Not only do we face this real, 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 real small. Not only do we face the crossing of the two wills, I want you to know the Apostle Peter faced the crossing of the two wills. And it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62. Can you read this with me? Come on, read it with me. Come on. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me. How many times? If you know anything about the Apostle Peter, he was that sword-slinging, ear-cutting, water-walking, bold disciple of Christ, yes? And he said to God just 24 hours earlier, Lord, I'll never deny you. And what did Jesus say to them? Jesus looked at him that day, and he said, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll disown me three times. They came and they got Jesus after Judas betrayed him. They took him, and then they started trying to find all the disciples because they didn't want to just crucify Jesus. They wanted, to make a, a, they wanted to make a statement by getting all the disciples too. You can read this in the, in the Gospels, that they're looking for the disciples, and they come to Peter, and they say, hey, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Second time, aren't you a follower of Jesus? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I am not a part of them. Third time they came to him and said, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And in the original language, it's, it's a curse word in that culture that there was such anxiety in him that he used a curse word in that culture. He said, I do not know the man. And then the rooster crowed and he turned and looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he remembered that just 24 hours earlier, he said, I will never deny you. And less than 24 hours later, rather than living in the will of God, he was living in his own will. Yes. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, what did he say? Go get the disciples and who? Peter. He's the only one he called by name. And he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? A second time, he said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Third time he said, Peter, do you love me? And, and you can almost hear the exasperation in the original language that Peter is in anxiety. Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And for every time he failed living in his own will, God gave him a way to make it right to live in the will of God. You know what that means for you and me? That every time we fall down, if we'll just get back up and go back to that cross and say, God, I missed the mark. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. God, I don't want my will. I want your will. And God gave that man a way to make it right with him. Yes. Hallelujah. Not only we face this every day, not only the apostle Paul faced the power of the cross, not only did Peter face the power of the cross, but even Jesus faced the power of the cross. I want to read something to you before we pray in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. I want you to read it real, real big with me. Can, can you all read this with me? Come on. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Stop right there, would you? Jesus was all God, but he was also all man. Tempted in every way as a man, yet without sin. And here he is hanging as the son of God on this cross. 
and, and, and before that in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if there's any way his flesh, listen, I want you to see this, his flesh was crying out. God, if there's any way we don't have to do this, if you don't have to, God, if there's any other way we can pay for the sins of man, if there's another way we can do this, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Don't make me do this. How many mamas and daddies are in here? Hold your hand up. If you're a mother or a daddy, hold your hand up, okay? How many of you ever, if your daughter or your son ever came to you and said, Mama, help me. Daddy, help me. Mama, help me. Daddy, help me. The Bible says with all of that sin that was coming on Jesus that God had to turn his head. He couldn't even look at Jesus. And Jesus for the first time in all of history was alone by himself hanging on that cross that not even God was coming to, to his side to help him. And then here is the victory of the cross. He's saying, God, if there's any other way we can do this, if I don't have to die for the sins of man, please, Daddy, help me, Daddy. I don't want to have to do this. But here is what Jesus did. For the joy set before him. Come on, read the rest of that verse. Come on, what does it say? Yet not my will but your will be done. Come on, say it. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Can we all say it loud? Come on. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Here is what I believe the power of the cross is really all about. It's more than a religious symbol because Patrick Mahomes, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs just a few weeks ago, was on national television and he got down in the end zone before the game started and nailed, did his cross and kissed his cross that he had wearing around his neck under his shoulder pads. Right after the game, he was cursing and dropping the F-bomb so many times they had to bleep him again and again and again. How many of you know the F-word has become as common as the and and? Come on, help me. Why? We remove the law. And when you remove the law, you remove the standard. And when you remove the standard, you remove the conscience. I want you to understand. I believe that there's far more than just a religious symbol. It is a picture of what God did for me. And it's a picture of how you can let your marriage will change. Your finances will change. Your health will change. Your future will change. If you can look at that cross every day and say, God, I don't want my will. Your will be done. Come on, say it with me. I don't want my will. Your will be done. Can you do it with me? Come on. I don't want my will. Your will be done. You can say there is no story. You can make up your own story. Or you can really understand there is God's story. And you can do it your way. And I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of things my way. And it got me in trouble every time. Come on. Who knows what I'm saying? And you can continue to do things your way and say you can stick your fist in God's face and say, I'll do it the way I want to. You know what? I don't believe that that's why you're here today. We're so grateful that you're here. And we love you so much. But I believe God is returning us to the pillar of the cross. And saying this is what this culture has got to return to. In Jesus name. To the world, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Look at me before we pray. And we'll dismiss. When I was a little boy... How many of you know sometimes little boys do things their daddies tell them not to do? When I was about 10 years old, I'll never forget this. Uh, my daddy told me all the time, he said, boys, don't play football in the house. And we love to throw the football. And I'll never forget one day, my dad was outside cutting the grass. And we heard the lawnmower running. And I saw the football over on the couch. And I went over and got it. And I threw it across the living room to my baby brother, who was six years old. And it went right through his hands. And hit my dad's favorite lamp that he had gotten from his grandmother. 
and it shattered it. And I knew, who knows, I knew what was coming. So I told my baby brother, I said, quick, Scotty, go lock the door. So my baby brother went over and locked the door. And we started picking up the glass. And a few minutes later, the lawnmower cut off. And I, and I, and I heard my dad, he came to the door. And he tried to come in. The door was locked. And he said, open the door, boys. And, and I knew what was coming. Come on, who knows? Come on. I knew what was coming. And, and I said, Daddy, I can't open this door. He said, open the door, boys. I, I said, Daddy, I cannot open this door. And he said, whatever you've done is going to be twice as bad if you don't open this door right now. Who knows that voice? Come on. And you can keep playing, Renee, if you don't mind. And I want you to know that I opened that door and I let my daddy in and he came in and he saw the football sitting in the middle of all the glass and he knew what had happened. And he pulled his belt off. And I'm telling you, he beat the tar out of me that day. You want to know why my daddy whipped me that day? Because I opened the door. If I'd have kept that door locked, he'd still be outside, all right? I'm the one that opened the door. Listen to me. Can I tell you with somebody who loves you today, and just as the Spirit of God swept in this room during our worship this morning, God is knocking on the heart of someone in this room, and he's saying, the reason you're losing is because you've opened the door. Jesus brought you here, and you came today because God wants you to come. You're going to have to make a decision. This cross is a dividing line of either your will or God's will. And I want you to know God says, if you'll do it my way, I'll show you the ways of life. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody leaving for just a moment if you can. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for every person that is here. And Lord, I just thank you for those that are watching online, maybe somewhere else. And Lord, we've not come just to hear somebody speak. We've not come just to to look at these things, but God, we've come to hear from you and for you to speak to our heart. And there are young people in this room that God is speaking to. There are adults in this room that God is speaking to, and he's asking this question, what about you? If you died today, do you know that you know that you know that you'd be in heaven? What about you? If today was your last day on this planet, do you know that you know that you'd be in heaven with Jesus? It's a really important question. Everybody's gonna have to answer it whether they think they will or not. So it's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around for just a moment, ask yourself, God, are you talking to me? You're the only person I'm talking to right now. What about you? Are you doing things your way or have you submitted to the cross? And have you knelt to the cross and said, God, I don't want my way, I want your way. They're screaming in hell right now, begging us to listen. It's too late for those in hell. They've already made their choices. It is not too late for you and me in this room. I don't care how many drinks you've had, how many drugs you've taken, how many things you've done wrong. God is knocking on your heart, heart's door right now and saying, let me in, let me in, and I'll show you the way of life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, ask yourself, God, are you talking to me? You're the only person I'm talking to. You're the only person I'm talking to. What if you were killed in an automobile accident this afternoon? It happens almost every day in this region. Do you know that you know that you know that you'd be in heaven with Jesus? What if it was a drive-by shooting that's happening more and more in our culture? In Mobile, just a few weeks ago, a nine-year-old girl was sitting in her living room on her couch and a gang shooting went by and seven bullets went through her body and killed her. 
What if it was a drive-by shooting and you were tragically killed? Do you know that you know that you'd be in heaven with Jesus? What if it was one of these horrible tornadoes that comes through this region and you were tragically killed? Do you know that you would be in heaven with Jesus? I want you to understand, the Bible promises a lot. It just does not promise tomorrow. You may never get another chance to be this close to the kingdom of God. You may never get this chance again. I need Christians to pray. Pray, Christians. Somebody's life is in the balance in this room. And if you're, no matter who's on your right, left, no matter who's in front of you and behind you, this is not between you and anybody else. This is between you and God. So ask yourself, God, is it me? And if you're like me and you say, you know what, God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to play games with my future. I don't, I, I don't want to miss what you have for me. God, I want you to come into my heart. I want, to, I want you to know that God can change your direction today. God can give you a new beginning. God can help you start all over. He can make all things new. Pray, Christians. If that's you and you say, you know what, Brother Johnny, I'm not where I should be with God. I can fool my parents. I can fool my friends. I can fool my pastors. I might even fool the police, but I know I can't fool God. None of us can fool God. He made you and he calls you now. And he's calling through this preacher. And this is not about joining this church. Although this is a wonderful church, this is about joining the kingdom of heaven. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, ask yourself, God, are you talking to me? And if your life is uncomfortable, if there are things in your life that you know are wrong, run to the cross today and say, God, give me another chance. God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to play games with my future. I know I can fool everybody else, but I can't fool you, God. If that's you anywhere in this room, no matter who's on your right, left, who's in front of you and behind you, when I count to three, you raise your hand and shove it down the devil's throat. Don't let anything stop you. If you say, I know it's me. This is not between you and your parents. This is not between you and your spouse. This is not between you and your friends. This is between you and God. So if that's you anywhere in this room and you say, I know I need to get closer to God today. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to get closer to him. I beg of you. If you say, I know there are things in my life that are wrong and I don't want to go to hell. I want to make sure heaven is my own. If there's even an inkling in your life that things are not right. I wouldn't leave this building without getting things right with God. If that's you, when I count to three, you raise your hand and shove it down the devil's throat and say for me, pray for me, brother Johnny. I need to get closer to God today. If that's you anywhere, when I count to three, you raise it right now in the balcony, on the floor, watching online. When I count to three, raise it right now and say, pray for me, brother Johnny. Here we go. One, two, three. That's me. Raise it now. Raise it now. Don't wait. Yes, sir. I see you, sir. I see you, son. I see you, ma'am. I see you, young lady. I see you, young lady. I see you, young lady. Hallelujah. In the balcony, I'm looking. Hallelujah. I see you, young lady. I see you, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. Can I tell you that the Bible says a party kicked off in heaven as soon as you raised your hand, that the angels rejoice over one who comes close to Christ. I'm going to ask one more time. Maybe there's somebody else in this room and you know that God is speaking to you. You say, you know what, Brother Johnny? I should have raised my hand with these other seven or eight people. There are things in my life that are undone, and I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to play games with my future. I want to come to that cross, and I want God's will. And I need to get closer to him today. If you didn't raise your hand a moment ago because you were worried about what someone might think, Listen, hell will be more uncomfortable than what you th other people think of you. I'm begging you, don't miss this moment. You may never get another chance. If that's you and you say, I should have raised my hand, pray for me, Brother Johnny. And if you didn't, raise it right when I count to three right now. Here we go. Raise it now. One, two, three. Anybody else? I should have. Yes, son, I see you. Yes, young lady. In the balcony, I'm looking. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Raise it now. Get my attention. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see you, ma'am. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I asked again. 
Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. Father, I've done everything you told me to do. Now, Lord, give the increase. Help me decrease and let your will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would everybody stand with me, please, for just a moment? Please don't leave if you, at all possible. I know we're a few minutes over. Pastor will come and dismiss us in just a few moments. Look at me. This is a holy moment. Those of you that raise your hands, I know who you are. You know who you are. God knows who you are, and the devil knows who you are. The first step is always to raise our hand. The second step is always to publicly stand for Jesus. Everybody Jesus called in the Bible, he called publicly. And he said this, he said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, yes, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. 44 years ago as a 16-year-old boy that alcohol was destroying me, I was sitting on the back row and the pastor said, come forward and publicly place your faith in Christ. And as a 16-year-old boy, I walked from the back row to the front and nobody was laughing at me. They were giving me a standing ovation. Can I tell you, nobody's going to laugh at you in here. Nobody's going to make fun of you in here. We're going to give you a standing ovation. Is that right, church? Because we know what God can do in your life in a moment just like this. I'm going to ask everybody in this room, turn and look at somebody next to you and say, if you need to go get closer to, closer to Jesus today, I'll go up there with you. Would you just turn and ask somebody that question? It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. It could be your child. Just turn and ask someone. That question could change their life. We don't want anybody to go to hell. We want everybody to know God's destiny. Hallelujah. Now look at me if you would. Every person that raised their hand, I know who you are. You know who you are. God knows who you are and the devil knows who you are. Take the second step. Get a friend to come with you. I promise you they will. And when I count to three, come and stand right up here with me. Nobody's going to mock you. Nobody's going to laugh at you. We're going to stand with you. So they're already coming. When I count to three, you come. All over this room in the balcony, you come. One, two, three. Come on, can we clap for them as they're coming right now? Don't wait, don't wait. Don't wait all the way to the back. Come on, all the way to the back. Come on, right now, all the way to the back. Come on. That lady right there, come on. Hallelujah, I'm waiting. Come on, will you come? We're going to wait till they all get here. Come on. We're going to wait till they all get here. Come on. Come on, will you come on, keep clapping, church. Come on, keep clapping. Keep clapping, church. Keep clapping, church. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Now look at me. If you have a family member or a friend up here, would you come stand with them very quickly? If you have a family member or a friend up here, come and stand with them very, very quickly. Hallelujah. And we're just going to pray the prayer of agreement. Hallelujah. And I'm going to ask everybody else in the building now, step out of your seat and come build a wall of prayer behind them. Can you do that? Just move in here real close so everybody can get in. Can you step out of your seat? Can you come down from the balcony? We'd love for you to come and join us in this prayer time. Just like that lady right there. Let me tell you something. The power of God is for you. And that God has miracles that he wants to do in your life. And he's saying, you've given him a little bit, but he wants everything. Can you come and let me pray for you? Would you come, brother, husband? Would y'all come? And would you let me pray for you? I, I love those babies. All these beautiful babies in here. Can you move in real close so everybody can get in? All of you, can you step out of your seat and come and stand in this altar for a moment? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you look at me for just a moment? Can I tell you something? You know what? While I've been preaching, I saw you sitting over there. And, and, and it's almost like the hand of God was coming over you. Because God has marked you. God has marked you. And you know it that he wants to use you. And he's saying, come a little closer. Come a little closer. That your life's not behind you. 
it's in front of you. And you run, woman of God, that today's a new day and a new beginning, that everything before you walked in this building, God says it could be gone. Come on, church. And God says, I can make it all brand new. Look at me. Look at me, son. Look at me right here. When you walked in, my heart just reached out to you, man. And God just flooded my soul with love for you because you've never had a lot of people believe in you. You've had a lot of people tell you that you're not good enough and you're not smart enough and you'll never be enough. And you've heard those lies. But look at me. God is saying to you today, he's my son and I love him and I want to do something incredible in his life. And woman of God, the reason God brought you here today was to say, I want to change it. I want to rearrange it. And this pastor is standing here today to say, I want to help you to become everything because there's greatness in you. And the enemy's tripped you. Things have gotten in the way. But God said today, woman of God, live, live. The enemy's even told you to take your life. But God says, live, woman of God, live, woman of God. And I'm telling you, you could be my son. (laughs) I'm a lot older than you. And God's saying today, it can all change right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's just saying, come a little closer. Come a little closer. It takes a lot of guts to step out. Because, hold your hand up. How many of you love this man? Come on. This is a man of God. And God's saying, I have more for you. And because you took a step toward God, God's going to take two toward you today. And there's more. There's more. When you stepped out, let me tell you something. God was saying, I'm just washing everything off because it's hard for you to trust people because you've been so wounded and people that made promises to you they didn't keep their promises but God will never not keep his promise he will always keep his promise to you and he's saying today trust him trust him when you stepped out let me tell you you got people who love you on both sides but more than that you've got a God who went to this instrument and took your place and took my place I don't deserve to be standing up here And you don't deserve it either. But you know what? He loves you so much. He said, I did it for her. That if you were the only one on the earth, he would have done it for you. You've cried long enough because people have walked away. But the Lord said, tell you, he's coming close. God is coming close. And everything you will ever need, woman of God, you will find at the foot of the cross. If If you go to the Billy Graham crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina today, there's a big cross that you have to walk through the foot of the cross to get in their museum. Because he championed, he thundered that all over the nation. God's saying today is a new beginning. Hallelujah. Those that came forward, those that stepped out, let me tell you, today is a day. Man of God, I, was, I thought you left. I was looking for you. Hold your hand up. Who's with, are you with him? I'm so glad. Uh, your sister wife. Okay. Yeah, brother, husband, and sister wife. There we go. I never know names because I, I, I'm just in different places every week. Alyssa, uh, Conrad, let me tell you. When you raised your hand back there, it was like, the you ever, see, you ever seen fireworks that, boom, they go everywhere? That's what it looked like over you, man, that God was saying that, boom, I, because you don't realize what you're capable of. Look at me. There's an anointing on you. You're a get-it-done guy. You know how to get things done. And the Lord made you that way. And God's going to use you, Conrad. Look at me. Everything before you came in this building, my friend, he says, I can take it all away. Every mistake, every hurt, every bad decision, he did it for me. And he says, today I'm doing it for Conrad. Everybody say, Conrad, we'll live in God's best. Look at me, Conrad, you're worthy of that. You don't think you're worthy. I'm not worthy. Pastor Gary's not worthy. But Jesus went to that cross for you, Conrad. 
so that you could be free. Hallelujah. Would everybody stretch your hands toward these that are in the altar? And would everybody pray this prayer out loud with me now so nobody be embarrassed? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody pray it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I know it was my sin that nailed you on that cross. And I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So I say with my mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrected Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I give you my past, all of my mistakes, all of my bad decisions, all of my hurt, all of my pain. I give you my future, everything I will ever become. And I start over today, a child of God. And I receive you now as my only Lord, as my only hope, as my only way to heaven. You died for me, Jesus. Help me live for you now for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, stretch your hands toward him. Father, break every word curse, break every soul tie, break every generational curse, break every genetic curse. Loose them, powers of hell. Come on, church, right now. Loose them, powers of hell. Every lie that's been in their past, everything that's been behind. Come on, church, will you pray? Everything that's been on Conrad. God, today's a new beginning. Today's a new day. It's a new opportunity. And Father, we thank you for that. God, every lie that has held her in bondage, loose her power of hell and God do a new work God every enemy that has fought her and told her every lie God wash it off of them today loose her powers of hell and God let her walk in every promise that you have for her now in Jesus name come on would you just stretch your hands toward them pray over them Father let this be a new beginning let it be a new opportunity that they're going to walk with you under the power of the cross they're going to walk under the power of the cross in Jesus' name. Can everybody give these a standing ovation? Come on, church. Come on, as loud as you can.